I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I am chatting with Corey Wamsley. Corey is the CEO of Aurora Corealis Publishing and works with leaders who have transformational stories to share. She helps them quickly and easily write and publish a book for their brand that helps them create a legacy and be seen as an expert while building a relationship with the reader. Corey has 18 years of experience as a professional writer and editor, including 10 years with the Departments of Energy and Justice, and four years as the executive editor of Inspiring Lives magazine. She also wrote nine fiction books and one nonfiction book, The Spark Method, How to Write a Book for Your Business Fast, and contributed to two anthologies. Her 10th book, The Treasures We Seek, was published in November of 2023. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You are so welcome. It is lovely to have you here this morning. So I feel like you ha- we have an excellent bio here of you, but I feel like there's so much more to who you are than just your bio. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. Um, so I grew up reading and have always loved books. I've always loved hearing people's stories. Um, so that's kind of how I got into the work that I do. Um, I've been writing myself for years. Uh, I put out, I finished my first book when I was, I think, 24. Um, So it's been quite a while. Um, That's almost 20 years (laughs) since I finished that first book. Um, And I learned a lot with that process and the rewriting and all of that kind of stuff. So that's really been my passion is figuring out the book writing process and helping others with that. Um, Aside from that, I have two little girls. Um, I just saw them off to school this morning. (laughs) So they're out the door. (laughs) So it's quiet. Um, But yeah, most of my life is reading or writing or working with other people on their books. Um, Aside from that, I also play the piano a little bit. I paint. I love being creative, making crafts, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. We have a lot in common. Actually, I play the piano as well. So, (laughs) and that's one of the things I love about um, this podcasting is getting to hear people's stories as well. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you've had other jobs though. So were you writing in the early years, were you writing in the background while you were working a full-time job as well? Yeah, I was. Um, okay. if I had downtime at work, I would pull out my novel and work on it. Um, I mean, that's the benefit of being a professional writer is that if you're not working on work, work, then you can work on your book and it's all in the same spot. Um, so I did a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of writing on the weekends and the evenings because it was just something fun for me. Um, I published, I self-published five novels in one year. So oh I, I got kind of tired of the pitching process and yeah. not coming up with anything. I had an agent for a couple of years and she wasn't able to get me a deal. Um, so I decided I was going to go ahead and self-publish once that became a thing. Uh, so 2012, I was actually pregnant with my oldest and okay. I decided to work on my novels that year. Um, I had a friend who was doing some editing on them and I pub- self-published them that year, uh, all wow. five, right up to the day that she was born. So I wanted to get them out. Um, but the funny thing is like, I didn't understand everything else that came with that. So that was another like learning growing sort of process. Um, but yeah, i 
I worked uh, for 10 years. Um, my work was a little bit different from the writing work. Of course, it was mostly technical writing. Uh, sure. So I was taking some of the stuff that we were doing at the different places I worked and explaining it, um, especially at the Department of Energy. Uh, I worked for a national lab. And so I was explaining a lot of the technologies that we were working on. So I got to talk okay. about carbon emissions and uh, clean fuels and all kinds of fun stuff that I never get to talk about anymore. Yeah. Um, one of the really cool pieces of that job was that I got to interview our scientists and um, my background is in biology and English. So okay. I loved kind of talking shop with them, but also being able to explain that to just regular people uh, because this was stuff that we were putting out either in the local newspapers to talk about the work we were doing, or we were putting it up on our website. And it's really important to be able to get that stuff across without coming across so dry and dull yeah um, so it was it was a lot of fun to be able to say like here's the stuff that we're doing this is what it's like you know it's kind of like baking a cake you do this you do this or <laughs> you know finding other analogies that worked yeah I am a physical therapist by trade actually okay. and so I know exactly what you're talking about it's like how do I tell the person what we're dealing with what we're working with in yeah. a everyday language yeah that they can and understand yeah, and it can be challenging. Um, so I really liked that I could bridge that gap. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then I imagine that because your writing during the day was so technical, when you went to writing your novel, that you know it was just switching gears in your brain a little bit. Still writing, but in such a different way that it was fun and not like, oh gosh, yeah. now I'm doing more work on top of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very different, but there are still some elements that are the same. So it's it's just this was more fun. And it was like, Oh, this is for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, there's some energy behind that, right? When you're like, this is mine. This is what mm -hmm. I, is mine. Um, and then I admire so much writers and the pitching process and just even getting what is a book deal. I mean, that is, that requires some perseverance of spirit there. Yes, yes, it definitely does. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what the process is like, you have to go online and find an agent and then you pitch to them. Um, of course, you have to check to make sure, like, are they taking clients right now? Are they taking clients in your genre? Uh, because some of them work in multiple genres. So you want to make sure that you are pitching to someone who's open to being pitched to. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of them have specific rules. So you have to go on their webs or yeah, go on their website and make sure that you're reading through all their rules. They want to be sent an email. It has to have this in the subject line, you know, only two paragraphs. Like some of them are very specific. Wow. And don't send me a, a chapter on the first one or do send three chapters. Uh, so there's all of that stuff that, and of course I was pitching in the early 2000s. So it wasn't quite as, uh, it, it was a little bit different at that point because some of the agents were just moving to the online stuff. So there were still a couple that I had to like mail a letter to that they preferred wow. that. Um, today it's probably more forms and just, you know, something simplified so they can just get something in and go yes or no. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the pitching process can take years and then, you know, getting that agent. And then they of course have a relationship with the publishing house. So okay. they would be reaching out and saying, okay, I think it's going to be good for this specific editor at this house, or I think it'll go at this house, but you know, need to talk to a couple editors. So that's where that relationship comes in because traditional publishers don't want the pitches. They just want to speak with the agents. Okay. All right. Thank you for explaining that a little bit. <laughs> sure. So now you're in the other seat. You have a publishing house yourself. Mm -hmm. 
So do you have it? How do you have it set up? So mine's a hybrid publisher. So it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds. So there's independent hybrid and traditional. Um, What we do is we shorten that length of time. So somebody could come to me, I can take a look at their book and say, yeah, this is somebody that we can work with. This is a good story. Um, This is what I'm seeing that you need. Um, But then they pay for a package with us. So that payment is going toward editing and book cover, um, the professional layout, uh, publishing, um, you know, the ISBN, the copyright registration, all of those kind of things. So it covers all of the work that's being done. um, But in exchange for that, you get a book out in a timely manner instead of needing to pitch to all these different houses. Um, With independent publishing, you are footing the bill as well, but it's probably a lower cost and you have to find all those professionals yourself. And I'm hoping that most people are out there finding the professionals and not just winging it because that is, it not only doesn't make your book look good, but it also kind of brings the whole industry down and it makes people question the quality of all books. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And now that you're saying that I actually have a friend that her book's about to come out in early 2024 and she, I didn't know the term for it, but she must be through a hybrid publishing. Cause okay. I've been talking to her a lot about the process and she has been working um, with people. And like you said, like, it's been exactly what you said with the hybrid. And I'm like, I just didn't know that was the term. So thank you for teaching yeah. me something this morning. Sure. <laughs> So, um, so with the hybrid though, do you only work with agents or can authors approach you as well? Um, we don't work with agents at all. It's always authors who approach me. Um, I have some authors approach me on like Facebook. They'll reach out and say, Hey, a friend recommended that I talk to you. Um, others go to my website and they fill out the form and send me information about their book. Uh, usually if somebody has a book written, I like to see like the first three chapters. Um, And I always try to talk to authors about what their expectations are too, because I think they see some of those, you know, bigger authors like Stephen King or Danielle Steele. And they think, oh, all I have to do is give her this book and I'm going to be a superstar. And that's not really the case. So I always like to talk to them and say, okay, you know, what are your expectations? What's your social media uh, look like? Um, if an author has nothing at all, if they have no presence, then no, you're not going to be a superstar overnight, but that's something you can work toward. And, you know, putting the book out could be a good first step. So I think that's just something that's important for people to know. Yeah. And I also think that's so brave, right? Of putting, it almost seems like you're birthing a baby out into the world. Like you're putting what your heart and soul that you put into these pages and you're putting it out to the world. So, yeah. That's brave. What is your website? So if people want to find you as they're listening to this conversation, how can they locate you in your professional world? Yeah, um, it's Aurora Coriolis Publishing. Coriolis is C-O-R-I, just like my name, A-L-I-S. So auroracoriolispublishing.com. Okay, perfect. We'll include that in the show notes as well, listeners. So if you're driving, don't worry, you don't need to rush and jot that down. Switch gears a little bit and let's talk about you as a writer. So you've talked a lot about, we have talked some about it, but also your publishing. So now you have your 10th book coming out here in November. Yeah, I do. Um, So this is the second one out of uh, the novels that I wrote since having children. Okay. Um, I wrote five novels and then I did two children's books. um, And then I did my nonfiction book that went with my business. Um, And then uh, last summer I published uh, Braving the Shore and this fall I have The Treasures We Seek. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, I'm really excited about this one. I, I really enjoyed writing Braving the Shore. And I think when you put a book out that feels like, oh, this was the one, then the next time you go to write a book, you're like, oh my God, am I going to do it? Is, is this going <laughs> to just be awful? Um, are people going to receive it the same way? And I'm I'm getting a lot of feedback that they really love this book too. Um, and I think one of the things that I do, um, because I get to talk to my authors so much about storytelling and how they can dig deeper and share more of themselves, um, I think that that's helped me as a writer too, because then I'm digging into, well, how how does my character work? What is causing you know this issue in her life instead of just being like, oh, you know, this happened and now this is happening. Well, how is she going to behave if yeah. this thing happened back here? Um, so with uh, the treasures we seek, my main character Kenzie went through a really rough breakup, um, a complete betrayal of trust. Um, it destroyed her, and the way she reacted was going inside. So she decided to snuggle up in her comfort zone. And it's been roughly a year when the novel starts and um, her best friend who lives next door, the two of them went through some tough things together and it bonded them. So Lauren next door, she was like, Hey, you know what? I think that uh, you need to get out of here. You need to go to Italy. I have this great idea. She's Kenzie's going, well, why would I go to Italy? What, what am I doing? Am I just going to go by myself? And Lauren says, no. So, um, <laughs> This uh, uh, Lauren's a dress designer and this man who uh, she had designed his daughter's wedding dress has an archaeological dig going on in Italy. Um, and she's kind of stayed connected with the family. Well, the family was starting to dig the um, the foundation for an event center on their property uh, because they own a, um, a leather shop. Okay. And so they make coats and shoes and all kinds of wonderful things to wear and smell <laughs> the smell of leather. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they invited people that they know to come over and volunteer on this dig. They fly to Italy and it's completely out of Kenzie's comfort mm -hmm. zone. She's so used to um, just staying home, reading books, you know, watching movies, <laughs> just being with a couple of friends who she really trusts and she's close to. And this opens her up to being in a completely new place, trying new things. Um, you know, she's not an archaeologist. She's an architect. So she's not used to digging in the dirt. She's used to telling everybody else how to dig in the dirt. <laughs> um, so being over there, she meets all these new people. Um, she's thrust into this position where she's doing some, some work that can be tedious. Um, and one of the first things she does is she breaks a shard of pottery and she is beating herself up because she's yeah. like, oh my God, how could I have broken this? And well, it's already broken, but I broke it more. And um, it, she has this moment where she's like, I can't even trust myself to do things anymore. So she yeah. has a lot of growing that she has to do over there. And um, I think she accomplishes it by the end of the story. Oh, I love a good transformational story. That is, <laughs> <laughs> that really checks my boxes when I read one like that. Um, what part of Italy do they go to? They're in Castel Gandolfo. So okay. It's a little south of Rome. Okay. Um, and the reason I picked that is because uh, I knew that there were um, there were emperors who had palaces there, like their sure. you know, summer homes. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, so part of it was that I wanted to pick a spot where they could go and they would be able to unearth history from like the Roman empire. Sure. Um, the other piece that kind of inspired that was uh, my friend, Stefania, who used to live in Pittsburgh with me, um, like not with me, but nearby. Sure. Um, that's how I met her. She's from Italy and she moved back over there a few years ago. Okay. And one of the things she said about her job where she was working with people who were digging for the underground in Italy, she said, every time we try to dig for a new stop, we run into ruins. Yeah. It doesn't matter where we're digging. So we have to stop and you know go through everything and see what's going on, see if it's actually valuable ruins or if it's just you know a bunch of old rocks. Um, so I was thinking about that. And then yeah. the other layer of that, so there's you know multiple layers that kind of came together. Um, my husband and I watch documentaries a lot okay. and that's just how we've always bonded. <laughs> um, but we were watching one where they were at an archeological dig in Italy and they were digging up old bones. So from, you know, creatures from the past. And then they were also digging up stuff from the Roman empire. And I started putting these pieces together. So those three pieces, um, and I remembered a book I had bought back in the early 2000s when I was watching another documentary. Um, a woman named Adrienne Mayer had put out this book, and then they did a documentary about it, where she was um, she posited that the uh, the myths that we have today about some of the ancient creatures from like the Roman Empire or from Greece um, that the ancients had actually found some of these bones. Um, and said, oh, I don't know what this creature is. Well, it must be a centaur. It must be a minotaur. It okay. must be a pegasus. And the funny thing was when she was doing that show, I remember seeing the maps that they did. And one was a map of where the myths originated. And one was a map of major fossil beds. And they overlapped. It was almost perfect. Wow. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. And I started thinking about all of that stuff. Well, I still have the book. So I ran in my office. I'm like, pause the documentary. I don't want to miss anything. So I ran in the office <laughs> and grabbed that book. And I'm like, this was the missing chunk out of the middle of the novel because I had started writing and then I stopped because something wasn't right. Yeah. And I waited and I was open. You know, what's going to come in? What is the middle of this novel going to be? And then that's Love when it. it hit. I'm like, okay, they're going to Italy. They're going to be digging up bones. Um, I don't even remember how I got to talking about all that, but that was kind of how I started with uh, the treasures we seek. Cause I had yeah. like a little bit of a beginning and a little bit of an end, but that middle part just dropped in and that was it. I love that. I had asked you where in Italy, cause I, oh. I've, I've lived over there. I've been really lucky. I've, I studied abroad in Rome and then my husband's in the military. So we lived in Sicily for three and a half years. So I was oh, like, wow. we're, in we're in Italy while I get to travel through the pages when I read the book. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I've been in Rome for a week for my honeymoon. Okay. And, um, we So I actually had some knowledge of the area, but my friend Stefania was really, really helpful with the book. She actually read through the book before uh, we published it because I wanted to make sure that I got all the yeah. cultural stuff right. Because I remembered some of it, but then she would say things like, you know, this is a wine from this region. I would use this one instead. And like, I love that. Oh, that's amazing. You yeah, and you need that. I mean, there's nuances, right, to a culture that yeah. we don't pick up when we travel somewhere for a week or, right. you know, I think there's definitely something to be said for that. So what did you learn about yourself as I, you've been a professional writer? So I feel like you've probably learned a lot about yourself, but um 
what, what have you learned about yourself through writing? Um, I think it, it's helped me kind of analyze the things that I've been through in my life um, and how other people see them and how I want them to be portrayed. Okay. Uh, because I, I use my books to open people up to, you know, ex- exploring the character, of course, but also to kind of analyzing what's going on inside of them. Because yeah. I know if, if you give me a choice of books, I am much more apt to pick up fiction than nonfiction. Okay. Um, I've read fiction. I read nonfiction off and on because I'm a business owner and I want to make sure that I am learning and growing all the time. But for me, I would much rather get a good story. And that's part of why like all the books that I work on, I am encouraging my authors to share stories because when you're getting those kind of things, it helps you understand, you know, you're seeing someone else go through it and you're going, Oh, well, maybe I, I need to look at this in my own life. Um, With uh, the treasures we seek it helped me kind of go back to times in my life where I felt like I was hiding, um, especially when I was a professional and I didn't feel like, you know, I quite fit in with my coworkers or, um, you know, when I had been through rough things in my life and I kind of hid, it helped me kind of look at those things. Um, and another piece of this, Kenzie has celiac disease, so okay. she can't have gluten and um, I'm allergic to wheat and dairy. So okay. that's why I picked that for her. I thought that was something that most people have heard of and most people kind of understand it, but they don't yeah. understand what's going on for the person who has it. They just know oh, they can't eat that. It'll make them sick. But for the person who has food allergies or has some other thing that prevents them from eating a certain thing, going in a restaurant can be awful um, yeah. because there are so many fad diets out there that you don't know if the server is going to trust that, yes, this is an actual allergy and it will make me sick. Or if they're going to roll their eyes and say, oh, no, it's another one of those fad diets. Um, so there's that stuff going on. Um, it can be embarrassing. Uh, it's really frustrating for people to uh, like go to a birthday party and be like, oh yeah, I can't have this. Cause then you're standing there watching everybody else enjoy a piece of cake. Yeah. Um, you sit down at dinner and you know, they pass around the bread bowl and you're sitting there like, oh, yeah. and then you wonder, you know, is everybody thinking, oh, she's off carbs right now. Um, yeah. She's trying to lose weight. No, she's going to get sick if she eats that. So yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even think about it from that perspective, but this is uh, the quote that I finished the show with is that our books come into our lives when we most need them. And so I love to hear from your perspective as the writer of, you know, we're including these bits of the story to explore more. Right. And I also love reading because you're getting to walk in someone else's shoes that you will never get to walk in, in your own life. Yeah. And so like you're saying, exploring this like food allergy world, I don't have that, but I, I, it gives you more empathy for others. Yeah. And you can take that and turn that around. So I love hearing that from the writer's perspective. So thank you for sharing that. What is one thing you wish you would have known when you started writing? I think I wish I would have known how to lay out the chapter better and not judge myself. Um, I think my first three novels, I... I, so it's, I always joke that it's almost like, because you think, because you eat all the time, you think you can be a chef. Um, So I had read hundreds of books and I'm thinking, surely I can write a book. And I sat down and just wasn't quite sure once I dove in, like, oh, I have all these characters. I have all these ideas, but how does it all fit together? Um, And I think my process has changed so much over the years that 
you know, I did need the books that I wrote when I wrote them because they helped me grow as a writer. Sure. But my writing today is much better than it was then. And part of it is because I understand how to do a lot of the background stuff, the um, the outlining, the uh, figuring out who my character is, um, understanding how they all work together before I sit down and actually write the book. Yeah. Okay. I love that. And I imagine with anything in life, right? The more we do, the more we experience, the more that we're able to pour into that when we do it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about who you are as a reader and what genres you enjoy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've been reading mostly romance lately. Um, <laughs> I read romance. I watch a lot of Hallmark movies. Uh, I, I feel like because I do have a lot of stress in my job, um, I have small children. So they're, uh, they're in third and fifth grade. So I'm doing a lot of homework in the evenings. All I want is something that I'm going to laugh at. And then I'm going to say, Oh my goodness, that's so wonderful. It's so happy. Uh, when I'm finished with it, I want happy stories. I want something that I don't have to worry about, you know, somebody getting hurt or, um, it always drives me nuts when children get hurt in stories. So especially, you know, becoming a mom, I, I just can't read that stuff anymore. So I know, if I'm reading romance, it's probably going to be happy. Yes, I love that. And it's like a little escape from your day to day. Yeah. And in your busyness, how do you find time to read? Um, I'm pretty strict about my schedule, okay. unless I have something that's an emergency. Like right now, we're working with uh, a bunch of authors uh, on a book that um, it's kind of taken longer than it should have. So we're trying to get in some chapters here at the end. And sometimes I'm having to spill over into the evenings and the weekend, but most of the time I'm strict about my schedule. Um, so like when my kids get home from school, I might spend another half hour while they're just kind of chilling, you know, relaxing, like, okay, we need a break. Um, but then I'm with them the rest of the evening, uh, on the weekends, unless there's something that is an emergency. I'm with my, my kids or, you know, spending time with my friends, that kind of stuff. So I'm very specific about what I'm doing. Mm. Um, I avoid answering my emails and my uh, Facebook messenger on weekends, unless it's something that I feel like doing. So if I'm sure I I don't do it unless it's like, okay, I'll go ahead and do this. I actually would like to do that. I don't feel obligated to do it because that is my downtime. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you're very intentional about having your boundaries, which you need. Yes, absolutely. Especially owning your own business, right? It could very easily bleed into your personal life as yeah. well. Yeah. So. And I think it's it's very hard for most people to put the phone down and say, all right, I'm going to be present. I'm going to focus. But like right now I'm talking to you. My phone is upside down on my desk and I know we're having a conversation. I'm not going to be checking my, my uh, emails or anything. Yeah. So I think it's something everybody needs to make sure that they learn. Yeah. And that was for me when I started the podcast, I was like, I don't want this to take away from my time with my kids, right? Like this was something for mom. This was something for me to do that was mine, kind of like we talked about in the beginning, but I was like, it's not going to take away from my family. Like I'll fill it in in the cracks when it's not taking away from them. Absolutely. And being intentional about that. Well, you have been so gracious to bring a book flight with you today as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how they pair together? Yeah. um, So these are all stories that I feel like they're just really enjoyable. Um, I don't read anything that 
is heavy. Um, so I actually brought two of my books and then one of my favorite romances because they're just fun books. Um, you'll find yourself laughing. You'll find yourself reflecting on things in your own life. And I, you got to love a happy ending. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I love it. This will be perfect when your episode airs in January. I feel like after the busyness of the holidays, it'll be the perfect book flight to like de-stress and like come back into ourselves, yeah. right? From the busyness of that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What is the first book of the pairing today? Uh, the first one I brought was The Treasures We Seek. That's okay. My book that uh, that came out in November. We talked a lot about that in the beginning. So let's go to the second book of your pairing today. Okay. Um, so the second one I brought was Josh and Hazel's Guide to Not Dating by Christina Lauren. Um, I've read this actually twice this year because that title is so fun. <laughs> it was just, yeah, it's a great title. Um, I, I'm a big title person. And I saw that and I was like, that sounds so cute. Um, the main character is very free spirited and very quirky, but I love how they go beyond just, oh, she's a little nutty. Um, so you actually get to see how she feels about how she fits in because she just doesn't. And she tries to say like, oh, she's okay with it. But really sometimes she feels hurt and she wants to belong and she wants to find, you know, the right person who will appreciate how fun and quirky and free spirited she is. But, you know, she even explains in the book, you know, a lot of the men that she dates, they're like, Oh, I'm going to date the crazy girl. This will be fun. And then after a couple of weeks, they don't want to be with her anymore because you know, she's a little nutty and she's not crazy, like, like um, vindictive crazy or any of sure. that. Stuff. She's just very free spirited. She dresses how she feels. Um, she says whatever comes into her head, which is often really funny, sometimes embarrassing for her. Um, so there were times in this book that I was just laughing. Like I'm sitting in my living room, my kids are watching a movie I don't want to watch and I'm sitting there just laughing at my book. Yeah. Uh, so I felt like that is a really good one. Um, you know, if you need something to perk you up or if you've had a long day, that's absolutely a perfect book. I love that. And I can imagine that that is, does she go about like her quirkiness? Does she kind of not let people into that until they get a little bit closer to her or is she just who she is from the she, beginning? So she's, um, she's always who she is, but okay. there are people that like, they have to appreciate that. And she has a best friend and then that best friend's friends kind of accept her. Okay. Um, and I think they, they just get to see like, you know, this is just who Hazel is. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who are judgmental instead of curious and sure. you know, those aren't her people. It's the ones yeah. that are willing to be open and willing to laugh and laugh at themselves too. Okay. All right. Yeah. That one sounds great. Definitely going on my list to read. <laughs> so that yeah. was Josh and Hazel's guide to not dating by Christina Lauren. And then what is the last book of the pairing today? Uh, the last one was another one of mine, Braving the okay. Shore. Um, and this one, it's it, it always throws people off when I say it starts out with a car wreck because they're not expecting there to be something awful. And it isn't awful. It's that transformation. Sure. Um, so it starts out with twin sisters who end up in a car wreck. They're getting ready to celebrate their 35th birthday. So they had both uh, gotten together. Um, the one has been off seeing the world and the other one has stayed in their hometown. Okay. Um, so she comes back and the two of them are driving home or driving back to the one's home and they get in a wreck. They go to the hospital. Um, the one sister ends up with a concussion and she's trying to kind of recover. Um, but she has memory loss. She isn't sure 
of anything. Um, she has some vague memories. She remembers her daughter. She remembers her bakery and she remembers her ex-husband. And luckily it was an amicable breakup because he's really the only one who can help. Um, so he's over at her house for a couple of days till her cousin gets to town to help her out. Um, and she's trying to navigate this world where she's kind of looking around her house and saying, I don't even remember all the stuff here. Um, there are points where she's saying, you know, I d- what did I do in my spare time? I don't remember. Did wow. I watch movies? And she's looking at like, she's like, I can't even figure out how to turn stupid TV on. Sure. <laughs> um, which I know most of us have that problem every day. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm like my husband. I'm like, how do I do this? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so she's, you know, navigating this world that she's been in and she's looking at her life and saying, you know, is this really where I want to be? And the big thing about this book is I want people to have that reflection and say, like, if I had a clean slate, if I woke up and I had no idea what was going on, um, is this where I want to be? And is this an opportunity for me to move on and do something different with my life? Uh, she does not remember her boyfriend. Uh, which is really awkward because yeah. they, it, he's, you know, trying to be supportive. Um, he's a good boyfriend and he's like, you know, is it okay if I put my arm around you? And she's kind of like, uh, I don't know. Um, so it's, it's kind of a fun way of exploring uh, a fun way of exploring concussion. I don't want to say it that way, but it's yeah. a fun way of exploring, you know, where you are and if that's really the path you want to be on. Um, and I, I thought it was very interesting where I ended up going with the characters because as I'm writing, things start happening. Um, people come in and I was like, oh, I hadn't hadn't written that character, but I needed something like that. Um, like she has a best friend who ended up being more of a player than I thought she was going to be. Yeah. Um, and they end up with uh, this. This was kind of a, a thing that popped in probably in the first few chapters. Uh, they end up with a third sister who has passed and she's kind of being their guide through part of the story. So it's really wow. interesting um, and understanding uh, how intuitive they are and how connected they are with this third sister. Yeah. Wow. I love that you talked about how these people just pop in because I'm not a writer myself. And so I, I love that it just happens so organically. Like I'm imagining you're just so into the story, but another idea comes in and then it just helps the story flow. Yeah. Much better. Oh yeah. Um, going back to the treasures we seek, uh, I had not planned on there being a love story in Gan- Castle Gandalfo at all. I, okay. I knew that Kenzie needed to grow. She was not ready for that. Sure. Um, so she's, you know, she's talking to someone, but there's not a love story there for her. Um, and then I ended up having two other characters who were there having kind of like side love stories. Um, so she was, she was getting to see them learn and grow and welcome someone else into their lives. So I think that that also helped her to be ready for a relationship by the end. That's so cool how that happens. Because <laughs> as a reader, you're not thinking that, right? As you're reading right. the story, you're not thinking about like, well, how did this all come to? I mean, I guess maybe you are like thinking about like, how will this come together? But it's not the processes in the back, which is super yeah. cool to hear about. Okay. So, and there's Braving the Shore. That that one came out last year, you said? Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. The summer of 22. Summer of 22. Yeah. Cause I guess I was just thinking, I'm like, gosh, 2024. I can't even believe that when we were talking at the earlier in the episode, I said, Oh, you'll be coming out in January. I'm like 2024. That's crazy. Yeah. 
So, okay. Well, that was Braving the Shore by Corey Wamsley. If, you know, we're talking to her right now, which is so fun. How I like to end our show is actually with our bonus pairings, which are just a speed round of questions here. So where is your favorite place to read? I have a big blue chair in my living room. It almost looks like a throne. Um, it's got a velvety feel to it. And when I sit there, I feel regal. And the back is very <laughs> like it's curved perfectly. So I can pull my legs up in the chair and lean and it's not uncomfortable. Um, I hadn't mentioned this, but I have connective tissue disease. So often okay. sitting, standing, existing is uncomfortable, but I can always get into a comfortable position in that chair. It's just like the perfect chair. <laughs> I love that. I am envisioning like, ooh, guests just curling up with a good book and a blanket. That sounds yeah. lovely. <laughs> um, and then what is one book you've read that has changed your life? Oh, I think it's hard to pick just one. Um, okay. But I, I read so much that I feel like I'm just constantly changing. Sure. Um, and I think that does happen when you read a lot, um, especially because I'm reading a lot of nonfiction for work. Um, I'm always learning new things. Um, past fall, we published books on uh, business, on uh, narcissistic abuse, on um, uh, collections of women's stories where they've been through really big challenges and how they've been able to choose joy, how they've been able to grow and succeed. Um, so reading all of those sort of things, I mean, I, I learn things about myself, about people around me um, all the time about how to uh, you know adjust things in my business, how to talk to people in a different way so that you know I'm respecting different things about them and understanding that everybody has a backstory that I don't know. Um, so I think that really everything that I read helps me with all of those sort of things. Yeah. And that's so true, right? I, I just think we're as we're reading, we're learning. Yeah. Even if it's fiction. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then are you a rereader? I wasn't for a long time. Um, when I was in grad school, I mostly read Victorian literature. Uh, that was just something I was interested in. Okay. And ever read that sort of book? It's very long and dense. It's very descriptive. Um, I read some that were less swoony. <laughs> Those were not okay. my favorite ones where the women were really flimsy and swoony. I liked the ones where they had really interesting characters. Um, a lot of uh, Wilkie Collins, um, uh, H. Ryder Haggard, I think was the other one. Their okay. books were really interesting and had great female characters. Um, but I would need a lot of space in between because it was so you know, deep. Um, oh. And then now I'm reading more romance. Um, so I read a lot of uh, Christina Lauren, um, uh, Anita Hughes, uh, some others like that. Um, okay. Uh, and then I find myself like, like I have a collection of um, uh, Christmas romance. So uh, every Christmas I'll go back and pick out a few of those and I'll reread them. It's like, so it's like hey, it's Christmas, I get to reread these books. Um, so yeah, I have been rereading more, but in the past, like I just couldn't do it because of the the way the books are these like sure. I could reread Josh and Hazel's guide to not dating again this fall and I've read it twice this year but it's such yeah. a fun book um, and I love how I feel when I read it yeah I love that do you read seasonally often um I will 
pick stuff that feels like the season sometimes. Okay. Usually it's uh, the Christmas ones. And then um, in the summer, I've, I have a collection of Anita Hughes books that take place like uh, on the beach or in the islands, uh, you know, different places that I know it's going to be kind of a beachy summery feel. So I'll read sure. those in the summer. Yeah, I love that. And then lastly, what are you reading next? Um, I'm reading Jojo Moya's Me Before You. My oh, yeah. mom read it and she's letting me borrow it. Um, I had read Jojo Moyes' book, um, The Giver of Stars, yes. and I really enjoyed that. So when she said she picked this one up, I was like, I'm next. Please bring it to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's, I believe there's three books in the Me Before You series, right? I know there's sure. another one after that one. Okay. Um, but I believe just recently someone was telling me there's also a third book part of it. And I was like, oh, I literally had no idea. But oh. the, if you like that one, there's there's a couple more, I think, after. So Thanks. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know your time is precious, and I appreciate all that you've given me. Well, thank you. I loved being on. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today with Corey Wamsley and her book flight of books that will make you feel good. We'd love to hear what other books you'd pair with this book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. This is a brand new show, so if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review not only helps me, but it also helps the show reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure that you will not miss an episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.